0: I'm noticing as we as we listen to these first few episodes of the podcast that I'm laughing too much so I'm trying to laugh less when we do this No, now I that think you're not on, laughing I don't think enough. I can help it you think, think you think I should, should, be, laughing should more? be laughing
1: more because if only to make me feel less self-conscious about how much I'm laughing
0: I feel like every time Bethy speaks I just start doing like a beavis and butthead laugh and so as we review the tape it's it's embarrassing for me but I'll I'll, I'll work through it And you are listening to watching movies at the bar a podcast about bar movies and movie bars tonight we are so excited to be joined by mike scollins mike is a staff writer and performer on late night with seth myers he's also written for snl the golden globes and the white house Correspondents' dinner As if that wasn't enough he can also be seen on peacock's the amber ruffin show and his buck in the film greener grass mike thanks for joining us
2: uh thanks for having me and in- reading my full bio <laughs>
0: <laughs> it seemed uh, you you sent it to me this morning you were like hey if you want to pull credits you can and i was like no i think i want to read the whole thing yeah i,
2: I literally said if you want to pull two credits because i didn't want you to read a paragraph
1: <laughs> <laughs> too late it's happened
0: do you approve mike do we have to remove this from the podcast
1: no it's fine it's fine All right.
0: and i am i am joined by our other host bethy squires i'm
1: bethy yeah it's me bethy squires uh I knew how to say Scotland's name because uh, it's become a habit now that in some of the monologues, uh, Seth will chide you.
2: Oh, yeah. Big time.
1: For your jokes. And it's been really <laughs> fun watching that. It reminds me of the way that Dean Martin used to yell at his cue card guy if a joke bombed or if it was good to go, hey, that was pretty good. It's <laughs> Trust me, in, in my world, saying that was like Dean Martin is one of the highest compliments. <laughs>
2: Amazing, I got uh, I got in trouble today on the show because I tried submitting a joke that I knew was bad, and I put somebody else's name on it so that they would get in trouble for it. And you then ragamuffin. got and then got called out for that because it was like, well, it still came from your email, so we knew who, who really wrote it.
0: That's so funny. All right, Mike. So uh, this this movie is all about uh, uh, movies and and bars. Are you are you having a drink right now? I am having a Bud Light right now.
2: I love a session beer, and I feel like if we were at a bar, that's what I would be getting.
1: Can you explain the term session beer to me?
2: Oh, yeah, of course. A session beer, maybe it's a New England thing. I thought it was ubiquitous. Uh, A session beer is like, if we're going to post up at a bar for a while, like have a session Mm -hmm. at a bar, it's one that you can like, I can have five of these and still be okay.
1: Oh, I think I had heard the term before, but it it makes me think of session musicians, and then I think about a beer playing trombone and... That's not well, that's the,
2: that's the second
1: definition. Okay, great.
0: Is there not a formal use of session, though? Aren't there, There's like, session, session IPAs and things? Yeah. Or does that speak to something that is, like, drinkable and lower ABV?
1: I don't know. These are all great questions. I'm a liquor lass. <laughs> I don't know shit about beer. I'm sorry. <laughs> if I'm having a session at a beer, I tend to switch up what I'm drinking. It's, like, intuitive eating but for hurting my body. But I just know exactly, like, what... <laughs> what booze is going to feel like not bad this time
0: You're an expert
1: People think it's people think it's insane because I'm like doing like beer after like I'm I'm breaking every single rhyme and like ending on like a gimlet which is just lime juice and like just really adding more acid to my stomach but it works for me I don't know what to tell There's me.
2: no like drinking limerick that ends in have a gimlet <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of something that rhymes with Gimlet, and I'm going to abandon my post here.
1: Sims pets. No, that's terrible.
0: Um, All right, so there are a few different definitions that we talk about when it comes to titles that really fit this podcast. There are movies that play well at a bar when on mute, where you don't have audio, but the images are are enough to sustain you. Um, There are also movies that you want to gush about after two beers, and there are movies that prominently feature bars. You know, this is not a movie that prominently features bars. But what uh, what made you choose Scream 2, Mike? Uh,
2: well, first off, I would I, I think it's great to watch at a bar. I would excitedly talk about it at a bar. Uh, but also, there's – you know the scene – like, it's maybe like the second scene in the movie where they're in film club yeah. – film club. It's like an actual film class. Uh, and they're having a discussion about, like, do sequels suck and, like, what sequels are better than the original – And that's, like, my ideal bar conversation. Yeah. Where it's, like, nice chatter, also, like, half of a game to try to, like, one-up somebody's, well, Aliens is better than Alien, or, like, T2 is better than Terminator. Whether that's true is up for debate.
1: Yeah, that class is very performative.
2: Oh, God, the professor, like, didn't even have a lesson plan. He was like, oh, we're going to talk about sequels today.
1: I'm just going to make the kids fight. He's just, like, stirring the pot. It's wild.
0: It's also funny because that is uh codified as a film theory class when the conversations are decidedly untheoretical. They're just like, "We like movies. Here are our favorites."
2: Oh, absolutely. And the conversation sparked because two people were murdered.
0: And they're like
2: <laughs> <laughs> And they're having like a, you know who's cool is James Cameron?
0: Yeah. Speaking of that Cameron conversation, do we want to get into this? Am I going to get in trouble for saying that I I vastly prefer Alien to Aliens?
2: I don't think you'll get in trouble for that.
1: I don't think you'll get in trouble. I know that our producer, Colin, loves Aliens and recently put it on to Fall Asleep a couple days ago. (laughs) That's a
0: loud movie for falling asleep. That's
1: a loud, scary movie where, like, everybody dies. What the fuck, Colin?
2: Damn, yeah, that's really telling that that's his white noise.
1: He said he's watched it so many times, but he said he just watched as far as like when they're doing the first sweep. So like before they even see an alien. So it's just sort of the methodical Mm. Marines stuff and like the veneer of confidence. (laughs) (laughs) So I think he liked the part where there's order before that order is disrupted by a bunch of aliens. (laughs) Right.
0: Colin falling asleep to aliens makes me think of the anecdote that gets me in the most trouble, which is that I went to see Dunkirk um, after work because I was just down the street from the Arclight um, and I fell asleep in the dome five minutes into that movie <laughs> and woke up during the credits. And that is like a famously noisy movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it was not, none of it was a function of me thinking the movie was boring. I've grown to really love it, but I was just too tired to be seeing a movie and did not know my body well enough to make that decision.
1: Wow. Well, Mike, what is your experience with watching movies in bars? Do you have, like, a favorite place that happens to run movies a lot? Or have you ever gotten, like, remote privileges from a bartender?
2: Uh, there's a great place in Brooklyn called Videology uh, that has a screen that's all... It's either, like, a show based around, a, based around uh, a film, or it's just, like, the film is background noise. Sometimes there's not even audio. hmm Uh, and it's just like functions as a bar and it is such a great place. You can rent movies there. Um, I hope it's, I hope it's since reopened. I really have no idea.
1: I've, I've wanted to run a bar that rents movies. That has been a thought in my head before.
2: (laughs) I mean, let's talk after this. I would like throw everything away to do that.
1: (laughs) Colin and I were actually planning a menu last night for such a place that had a, a movies on the bar situation, uh, because there's also there's nowhere to get mole frit in LA. You can't get mussels and fries to save your goddamn life. So it would have Philly soft pretzels, mole frit, gin and videos and that's it at this place. <laughs> that sounds amazing. amazing.
0: <laughs> Mike, is there what's the what's the AV setup like at Videology? We have conversations about what makes a good movie bar, and it's not necessarily the place that has the best presentation, but it's sometimes the place that's just the most peculiar. What's it like?
2: Uh this I, I fully agree with you. Um it is a pretty sophisticated setup. Uh but I also think there's definitely something to be said about like being surprised at what movie is playing on the shittiest TV at a bar that you would like expect to be showing like a baseball game or something right uh videologies is like a pretty sophisticated projector
0: what's so what's uh, what's an average pick at videology what are you watching when you go
2: uh the last show i did there uh was like a mystery science theater type deal uh for roadhouse and we had a blast
0: incredible um we've actually got a roadhouse episode coming up with alex alvarez that we're uh very excited for i uh incredible it was also i fucking love that movie
2: surprisingly a first viewing for me oh my god <laughs> had, n- had never seen roadhouse how was that so so charmed i mean it's it's fun to like hear someone's thoughts uh that's hearing, that's seeing it for the first time which is what i was offering up but also i kind of just wanted like everyone to shut up and <laughs> watch the movie <laughs>
1: Yeah, what is it like to have to riff over a movie that you haven't seen before?
2: Well, Roadhouse, I think, is a good pick because it lends itself to being loud. Like, I wouldn't mind going to a loud screening in a movie theater of Roadhouse. Mm -hmm.
0: Totally. Yeah, I feel like Roadhouse Roadhouse is more of a vibe movie than anything. And when you get those really iconic one-liners, they cut through the mix. You're not Mm going to miss those. Absolutely, yeah.
1: And the punches are also pretty... Loud in that movie, so that it'd help keep the rhythm going.
2: just the loudest punches
0: <laughs> they're incredible also that the the throat the throat business. but I, I guess we can we could save some of this for the Roadhouse episode. Yeah, we've yeah, got our own probably belongs.
1: we've got our own rowdy screening to talk about the opening kills of Scream Two. Mm-hmm. Scream
0: 2 is so good. So I, I Bethy, Bethy's gonna run the show tonight because she is an avowed scream head. My, uh, I'm a
1: screamologist. It's true. My
0: girlfriend had never seen Scream, and and you know is dear friends with Bethy, and so we went and watched it at her place for the first time. But Bethy, Bethy's a scream evangelist. She's talking about it all the time. If there's one thing I know about her taste, that she loves that movie. But we've never talked about the sequels, so I'm so curious to hear where tonight goes. Um,
1: well, first I want to say that. Scream 2 might be my third favorite Scream movie. It's wow. it's in the bottom half for me because Scream 3 got me into college. I wrote my uh, college admission admissions essay on Scream 3, and I got in on that.
0: Um, was there a thesis
1: to it? Yeah, it was about what I call the Scream 3 principle of friendship. It's something that... Um, That Wes Craven talks about in the commentary for that movie that they tried to, even though, like, Gail and Cindy have been, like, really uh, tempestuous for a long time, they they made the choice to have them hug and, like, be really happy when they see each other. Because in this moment, it's like, well, we've been through so much and there's a guy who's trying to murder us and you're not trying to murder me, so we can just be friends now. And it helped, like, clarify stuff in my mind interpersonally, like that if if it's not something I would give a shit about if there was a guy with a knife chasing me then it's not actually worth giving a shit about in general like you should just think about life oh, like you're yeah. about to be murdered and just have that level of clarity that is in profound your
2: I like that a lot
1: Well it did get me into college
2: I like that yeah I like that I mean I would have let you in I actually was a college admissions counselor for a year uh, the, it's funny you said that, though because the the Sydney Gale relationship, that like evolves over four soon to be five films is like just as important to me as like the kills and who the murderer is. It's such a fun evolution. Have you revisited that essay
0: recently and does it hold up?
1: No, I that's like eight computers ago. I think the computer that I wrote that on literally caught fire. So that's gone now.
0: Uh Yeah. I wrote a, a college admissions essay on um lost and it, <laughs> It it didn't, it, didn't it didn't get me in. Didn't get me in anywhere. <laughs> you guys, mine was on Psycho. Yeah. Oh shit. What was the what was the what was the angle? Uh that it's good.
1: <laughs> I don't disagree.
0: The admissions counselors were like, niche title psycho. We like this one too. <laughs> Scollins, he's in.
1: Um, why scream two of all the screams to talk about?
2: Uh Scream Two I actually think is the best one. Better than the original. I think it's interesting. I think
1: it's certainly up there. I don't it's I said third favorite, not like least anything. It's still like mm-hmm. way up there as far as movies go.
2: For me it's two one four three, but I still think three is very good. Like the worst screen movie I still think is awesome.
0: I'm 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 with you, Mike. When when you were getting getting set up before we started recording, I was telling Bethy I really like four. And it's kind of stuck with me, and I only saw it around when it came out, but I think my expectations were very low, and it completely delivers.
2: Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, uh, is it okay to spoil it for people? I just, yeah, I just thought it made... I, I yeah, okay. I think so. <laughs> At this point, it's okay, right? Uh, I just thought it made such great choices, and I think everyone's expecting, like, oh, it'll be like, you know, Death Campbell's, like, obligatory exit from the film, like, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis and Halloween Resurrection or something, and she'll, like move on with Emma Roberts, and it just, like, totally flipped it on its head. Like, I, it was it was a genuine surprise to me who the killer wasn't for.
0: Yeah, me too. I also, even though... We'll get to it with two, but I think two ends really well. And I think the burden of making a sequel to a film that is so metatextual and aware of the larger lineage mm-hmm. of, of horror history, and then having to deal with the compound meta element of being the sequel to that movie, I think it still really works. And sometimes it works as a function of not reinventing the wheel, but just by being more. I think the finale of this movie is so much um, that yeah, it just totally works for me.
1: Not to get too oh, UCB about it, but it is a little bit like the screams. Oh, please, the screams aren't not a herald because oh, you have interesting. like you know, scream is beat. I would one. have called them
2: a La Ronde, but okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like established thing, and then these are these uh, scream two is second beats. It's all heightening. It's
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: like winnowing down to like what the actual thesis statement is, as far as like endurance and like trust issues and uh the fact that everybody is able to like the villains of scream always like self-mythologize so much and i think Mm -hmm. uh that says something like these people are so like deluded and wrapped up in their own narratives that they murder people and think it's tight and and so like that and then it reaches a uh capitulation and scream three which is just like a bunch of quick scenes going completely insane adding jay and silent bob in for a second etc etc
2: i'm glad you like that i find that scene infuriating
0: (laughs) that's an aggressive thumbs down for me
1: (laughs) (laughs) um but as we're talking about scream two we should talk about the rules that are set down by randy like somewhere in the middle of the movie, it's like pretty late in the game to get the rules talk. Uh, but he—it's but had... earlier than the rules in the first one. That's moment. true. That does that, happen. that comes in the last act. Yeah, at, like at the big set piece at the end. But it was like used so much in the promotional materials. In fact, that mm-hmm. the final rule is in the teaser trailer, but not in the movie. It gets cut out of the movie. Um, that I thought it would it happened sooner, but I misremembered it. But Randy and Dewey are uh, eating Baskin Robbins in some pretty obvious spawn.
2: A lot of a lot of Pepsi and Baskin Robbins yep. <laughs> in the
0: screen too. I'll have a Diet Pepsi, please. <laughs> Jada Pinkett Smith, thank you.
1: Oh, we're gonna talk about Jada in a second, but um, so Dewey and Randy are talking, and the rules are: the body count is always bigger. The death scenes are always more elaborate, there's more blood, there's more gore. And then the third rule that's not in the movie but is in the trailer is never under any circumstances assume the killer is dead. So that's what these this movie seems to think is different from the last one. And there is a fake out death moment near the end.
0: Right. We get the Well, because usually in in a, in
2: a horror slasher, the sequel is the one that kind of events like some like supernatural mm-hmm. powers to the killer, like you know, Jason's not in Friday Thirteenth; he's in Friday Thirteen Point Two, Part Two. So like, he, the never assume he's dead is like he could come, he could come back to life. He could be dead. He could just
1: be revived. Yeah, and it is uh, brave and correct of Scream to not make a supernatural killer like oh, Billy would, and Stu don't yes. come back from the dead or anything.
2: Thank God, even though. uh Stu is briefly in the party scene in two. Oh, I had no idea.
1: There's like a little there's a little Lillard in there?
2: There's a, li- there's a tiny little Matthew Lillard oh if you God. know when to deposit. Oh wow. The
1: man can do anything. Ugh. Love Matthew Lillard Big, Big so much. big Matthew Lillard fan. Big old mouth on Matthew Lillard, too. I
0: love his turn in <laughs> Twin Peaks The Return, if you've uh yet oh, to, so good. Yet to check that one out. But um not to not to get too in the weeds here, but I do think the Scream movies do have a small supernatural element, which is that Ghostface can Teleport. Um, if you, if you see the way that Ghostface moves through the frame, especially in the background of the shot, he's really slinky. He's really obvious. He's always well. It's not always a he, but he's always bumping into shit. He's always moving mm-hmm. in a really animated way. But sometimes he just disappears from the driver's seat of a car when in full view of the characters, and that to me that's supernatural.
2: Disappearing while in full view of a character, I uh, I don't have a response to, but you gotta remember there's not just one killer. So you're not always seeing the same guy teleporting. It's a different guy.
0: Right. Yeah, there's there's something there. I just think of the police the the the, the when the detective's vehicle crashes uh and he disappears from the car entirely mm-hmm. in view of them. But Oh, what a great scene. It's a great scene, yeah.
1: The thing about the Scream movies is that there is like a plot, they're they're almost like mysteries on top of being slasher movies because you never know who the killer is always somebody in the cast and there's like a huge whodunit element which like sets it apart from a lot of other great they're great mysteries yeah
2: Yeah. i mean you're never wondering like who jason is it's just always jason Jason. but you're wondering who ghostface is right it's usually jason
0: it's also never a scooby-doo ending it's never it's never one where you don't see a, a trail that sort of elegantly leads up to the conclusion when you watch the movie a second time um and i think 2 does a really great job of that. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So i think rather than go <clears throat> sorry go through this movie chronologically i think it makes sense to just talk about the big set pieces because as uh, Randy says like th- they're just bigger, they're more elaborate. It's really there is a, a plot, there is a mystery, there is like sydney doesn't know who to trust. Uh, and at the same time uh <laughs> gail is like racked with guilt and like feeling Anxious about her place in society as like a working woman, and Dewey is also there. So like there's there are emotional underpinnings going on, but it's really just a series of like crazy scenes. And I think that's part of what makes it a good bar movie is because you can come in and out of it just, and you will get something out of just seeing, like Sarah Michelle Gellar fall off of that roof, or right. like just seeing absolutely yeah. the the sneaking past Ghostface in the cop car scene.
0: Bethy, before we jump into plot stuff, is this a good moment to talk about some of the unique uh, production history of the film? Absolutely. Okay, uh, so so the one big thing that we want to address before we get in here is it is, to some degree, a marvel that Scream 2 works as well as it does because it was um, one of the first big internet leaks. The entire script was available online and it completely fucked up the production of the movie to the point where they had to take away two of the killers. Um, Originally, Jerry O'Connell and Elise Neal were killers in the movie, and that is not the case in the final. Um, But they were rewriting pages and concealing sides from the actors right up until they shot the movie. So the version that we see is not Scream 2 as conceived, but it's still a very good movie.
2: Yeah, it is crazy that it works as well as it does, considering there are like, Multiple drafts. I think I think Kevin Williamson will say like he put out those mis- Like it was never really gonna be Elise Neal and Jerry O'Connell, but maybe that's just something you say when it leaks. Mm-hmm. Uh and also you gotta remember Scream Two came out less than a year after Scream One, which is like insane.
0: I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. I mean almost a year to the day, but like less than a year.
1: That's crazy.
2: And it's like such a great film.
1: I think that really speaks to Kevin Williamson's Particular flair for plot twistiness. Like I was a big fan of like the first two seasons of The Vampire Diaries because they can get through an entire se- like an entire season of plot in like two episodes, and then mm-hmm. it then they just have to go okay, wh- what now? I don't know. Werewolves, and then they bring in werewolves, and they're like, well, <laughs> now the werewolf guy is our friend, so uh, super vampires. Super vampire werewolf hybrids. What if he fought the devil? There's like, the the way that you're able to, like, the. I really admire the hustle and the way that he can just make everything grist for the, the plot twist mill.
0: That show sounds cool.
1: It's wild, dude. Yeah, that was a great pitch for Vampire
0: Diaries, which I've never <laughs> uh, seen. If
1: I can get anybody... The, the devil's <laughs> in it? Only in the final season. Uh, but if I can get other people to watch what I call Vampy D's Nuts... <laughs> then my <laughs> life will have been well lived. God, I love amputees. It's so dumb. Worst show. Really? I think Ian- you've sold at
0: least two people on <laughs> Vampire Diaries.
1: Ian Summerholder <laughs> is having so much fun on that show, I tell you what.
0: Oh my God, speaking of lost, Ian Summerholder. Yeah, he's
1: doing a lot with his eyebrows on that show. Um, but we should talk about the first big scene, because every scream has a huge set piece at the beginning that's like a mini movie and it's always incredible and always like like a statement of purpose almost for the rest of the movie. And this one is great. It's in a theater. They're at the movie premiere for Stab, which is based on what happened in Scream. And who who came up with this? This is so good. Who did this?
2: It's one of the reasons that I love Scream 2 so much is I think like adding Stab to the universe is just such a cool idea and such a cool choice. And and it's not something that like just lived in scream 2. Like adding stab to the universe is what all of scream 3 is about. Right. And and a lot of a lot of scream 4. Uh that opening scene is so great. I mean, it's like uh I think it's a little cachet if you get cast as like the first mm-hmm. death in scream. Like you can you can kind of reach for the stars. Casting wise, and get somebody like Drew Barrymore or like Jada Pinkett uh, shot at the Vista, which is that's really what I cool, thought. right?
0: Because all of all of the sort of Egyptian accents are not the yes, Rialto. Yeah. That's uh, that's the Vista that we know and miss so dearly. That 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 opening scene is incredible. I I, I think. You know, it's, it's, it's directing a crowd like that and situating that murder in that room of all of these frenzied people enacting the killing they're seeing on screen is incredible. I mean, Jada Pinkett Smith is killed in front of 300 people and no one has any sense of what's going on until a woman looks at her arm and realizes, oh, is this, is this real blood? This isn't someone fucking with me? Right.
2: While they're watching essentially a shot-for-shot remake of Scream starring Heather Graham. We
0: love Heather Graham. This is a pro Heather Graham
2: oh, we podcast. Fucking, we love everyone in the, we love everyone in the stab movies. Tori Spelling's great. Oh yeah. yeah. Luke, Luke Wilson, Wilson Graham Graham. is great. Billy Loomis.
1: Wig in that movie.
2: <laughs> also just the opening scene, like them walking up to, to hand in their passes and talking about like, how largely black people are ignored from like mainstream horror films. Great bar conversation.
1: It's really incredible.
2: Hopefully not just for the three of us. Right
1: um it's really incredible because it's also you know that within the universe of scream everybody here knows that that stab is based on something that really happened to a girl that goes to college here like a lot of people know that sydney lives in this town and they know that the events of stab happened to her so like right
2: like she's getting prank phone calls yeah. opening again and weekend. it
1: really adds a level of like uh depravity almost to to that screening of like uh like not like no no recognition that this actually happened to somebody
0: you've got like goof-ass teenage boys running around the movie theater saying stab stab i stab you it's like (laughs) this is this is recent history guys it's not it's not like uh you're not watching like a fox catcher sober retelling of murder it's uh it's it's goofy people love it
2: but i mean at least at least Sydney's not there. In Scream 1, they're running down the hallways doing that. And that's like, those are your classmates. Like, you're not even once removed from these people.
1: Yeah, there's a sense that life is just more savage in the screamiverse than it is in the real world.
2: But do you guys think, I, have this, I, I was having this discussion with somebody the other day, and I, and I don't know where we landed on it. Was, was the Woodsboro murders national news? Or was it like, if you're in town, like, you know, like, oh, that really happened and it happened to this girl.
1: I think it, it was news because Gail was able to, like, make a TV career off of it.
2: But remember when they go into the to the lobby, like, one of the girls is, like, too scared. And she's like, come on, it's just a movie. And then her friend's like, no, it actually really happened to a girl in California. Right, as yeah. if
0: that would be a reveal. she
2: did not know. Yeah.
1: I think it was national news in the way that crimes are national news, which is to say fleetingly. And, like, crime heads will know, but other people won't. But it's still, I think it made the national news.
2: But it would have been on like my favorite murder. Yeah. Or, or like not something like the average person would be. Yeah. The reason that this the reason that this came up is because there's a scene in uh, Scream 2 that makes me laugh so hard where Tori Spelling's being interviewed by I think Nancy oh, O'Dell okay. and she's like, Oh, it's such a crazy movie. Like my boyfriend tries to kill me, and then you find out he also killed my mom. <laughs> and it's like, you just gave away the whole fucking yeah. movie
1: Yeah, I thought about that too, and I was like, Well, I guess because we know that it's based on real events that maybe the movie can't be... It can't be the whodunit that Scream is because it is...
2: So Stab was never meant to be a no, whodunit. No,
1: I don't think the Stab right? universe has whodunit. Okay. Well, no, it does. In Scream 3, it is a Who It because they don't know who the killer in Stab 4 or 5 is. And that's like part of Well, those
2: of are it. definitely whodunits because those aren't based on yeah.
1: real life. But it'd be weird...
2: Those are completely invented yeah. stories. It's just the first and guess... one. And then Stab...
0: Two is based on Scream Two,
1: probably. Yeah,
0: we're really in the weeds
1: right I now.
0: We, we love it. This is it. we're 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 drinking at a bar talking about Scream Two. This is where <laughs> the conversation goes. But uh, Mike, I I also had a big reaction to that scene. But instead, my mind went to, oh, maybe when people did press for movies in the late nineties and early aughts, they were less averse to dramatic <laughs> spoilers than we are now. <laughs> Like, maybe that was just the culture of the moment, and I don't remember.
1: I was mostly, in that same scene, like, really impressed that they use this, like, clip of the movie within a movie to remind us that uh, Billy's mom left town. And (laughs) Billy's mom left town because of Sid's mom. So it's, like, letting us know that later, when all of a sudden, (laughs) Lori Metcalf goes fucking off.
2: Those scenes are so perfect and on the nose and like shot for shot of what happened in screen but like no one was really there like how do they know what that scene between nev campbell and skeet <laughs> ulrich was like and it is exactly verbatim the scene that tori spelling and luke wilson have. it's not like gail weathers was there <laughs> right. taking notes
1: that scene was verbatim but the intro with heather graham the writing is much worse
2: <laughs>
0: that's true
1: yes yeah Which is...
2: it's like oh, well, why she got to be naked because it's a slasher. Yeah. Jada Pinkett is so fucking oh, good.
1: She's so good.
0: But her her date's response to that is so funny. It's one of the great lines in the movie where she's like, "What is what is her being naked have to do with the plot?" And he goes, "I don't know about the plot, but I got a stiff one."
2: <laughs> and then she says, "You better loosen up that wrist." Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's a crazy he's got to jerk off later. <laughs>
2: it's a crazy thing to say <laughs> on a date. I got a stiff one. <laughs> I don't even like when someone like whispers or takes out their phone. <laughs> And he's just, like, at full volume being like, I have an erection. Yeah,
0: yeah, Oh, man. Maybe
1: I don't feel so bad for Orma Epps getting killed in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so just to briefly outline the scene we're talking about, uh, Maureen Evans and Phil Stevens are going to a movie, and as you said, they were uh, talking about how little representation there is for people of color in horror movies, which is interesting to because one it's true uh two if you read in um men women and chainsaws like she did sociological data and like overwhelmingly horror fans are like of color like that's a majority of color audience watching a bunch of white people get mm-hmm. murdered so that's just interesting um and that is interesting i'd never real heard quick that.
2: there's a really great documentary on this subject called uh horror noir i think it's on shutter mm. and it's really awesome that's a horror noir
1: and then the movie is directed by Wes Craven, who did People Under the Stairs, which is, like, one of the best mm-hmm. horror movies that Fucking examines awesome. race and gentrification, mostly, for, like, the whole movie. Very cool. Um, Phil gets murdered... Uh, in the bathroom by the strongest knife ever made. <laughs> <laughs> right through it a bathroom goes through stall. a bathroom stall, and then I think the same knife later goes through like an oak wooden door at a like sorority house. Oh yeah, it's an incredible knife.
2: And then in scary movie, it's a it's a penis that goes.
1: through <laughs> And we love that for them. Good we job. love it. Yeah,
2: it works for them.
1: I saw Scree, I saw a Scary Movie with my dad because it was R rated and I was a minor and I had to be taken by someone. So it was just me and my dad watching that movie. And I don't know if you remember. That
2: must have been a treat. <laughs>
1: in in Scary Movie, the the killer of that one is like an incel, and he does it because he hasn't gotten laid yet. And when. Uh, their version of Sydney played by Anna Ferris has sex with him for the first time. Oh, he, yes. like, jizzes a volcano that plasters her to the ceiling, and I was <laughs> sitting next to my dad when that happened.
0: <laughs> Did he clarify for you that that was an unrealistic expectation for sex? No,
1: we never spoke of it again.
2: <laughs> or just really tried to scare you. It was like, that's only half of what's normal. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's never never a discussion of sex in my house ever
2: uh similarly i was not old enough to see scream 2 in theaters but i found some very nice strangers outside (laughs) uh, (laughs) that were willing to buy me and my friend tickets that's cool it was great and if you can ever be that person for like a 14 or 15 year
0: old do it totally do
1: a solid for a minor i mean they can pirate now they have they can torrent it at this point
0: Right. I hope that I hope that movie going continues such that I will have that opportunity.
1: We love we love the movies. We love the cinematic yeah. experience.
2: Also, if you can buy a 19-year-old some beer,
0: <laughs> do it. This <laughs> is a formal endorsement from Mike's College.
2: Like just be cool. Remember what it was like being 19 and you could not find beers anywhere. Just
1: help him out. In fact, like, you should probably just like loiter around the liquor store and like yeah. see, just like look around. Maybe there's a kid who could use a beer. You don't know.
2: They're probably nervous. Don't wait for them to ask. Just say, "Do you want me to go buy you some beers?"
0: <laughs> that's like that's cool predatory behavior. <laughs> you're, you're you're preying on minors, but in a way that only benefits them.
2: But like really chill, <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> a really chill predator.
1: Um, the killer, after disposing of Phil, wears his jacket and tricks Jada Pinkett Smith into like thinking it's her boyfriend and so she's like hiding in his shoulder when like things are scary in the movie and that moment is like so um the tension of it is really cool and then eventually the jig is up she gets stabbed a lot and uh dies on stage as people slowly figure out that this isn't just another person being a dumb shit in this movie theater this is an actual murder
0: it's like the most fucked up Rocky horror you can imagine. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, and she sells the fuck out of it. when she She's like crying. She's like wailing so pathetically. She falls over. Oh, she really
2: makes a meal of it. And I think it's so effective. It just rules. Yeah, I
1: think she, she really sells the pain of it. Like you see it all on her face. It's incredible. I was thinking about this in the main Scream trilogy the three we're spoiling everything by the way once again i feel like we've we said this in Ernest scared stupid episode this podcast exists outside of time uh i experience life non-linearly and so now you have to as well spoilers for everything all the time all spoilers i also all think
0: that every movie we're talking about is something that that plays and has a ton of entertainment value even if you know Every beat, yeah. but I also hope people have seen Scream two already.
1: Well, I'm, I'm about to spoil Scream three, so <laughs> um, the three like set piece kills at the beginning of those movies is Drew Barrymore, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Leave Schreiber. And of those kills, I would say the two who have very sympathetic, effective deaths where you where you feel for them and you're sorry for their death, and it's like almost a bummer that you sometimes fast forward through if you're watching it and you're like, I don't need this today. I'm just going to go past the big kill. Uh, those two really effective deaths are Drew Barrymore and Jada Pinkett Smith. And those two are also the ones who have daytime talk shows.
2: Wow.
1: I'm just saying, like, there is some.
2: But Liev Schreiber played someone that had a daytime talk show.
0: For the, for the TV heads, uh, Liev Schreiber uh, uh, he, yes, he is, is Ray Donovan from TV
1: he's a fixer which is a much less sympathetic role to have than a talk show host but the fact is i think there is a similar skill set in being a murder victim and a slasher and a daytime talk show host <laughs> there is a, a relatability and a warmth that you need for both
0: this essay is going to get you back into college
1: oh <laughs> i'm in college again kelly
0: Clarkson's just gonna eat it <laughs> in scream <spring> five
1: <laughs> What other big kills impact you watching this movie? When you think about this movie, you go, ah, the bleh. What is it?
2: Uh, The Sarah Michelle Gellar kill, it's a great Mm -hmm. scene. um, But I also think it speaks to Scream's popularity that she was, like, never more famous than she was in, like, 1997. And her role is, like, pretty small. But it's also not, like, the opening, like, cold open death. Uh, so I was always just like so impressed that like she wanted to be a part of it so badly that she was like, Yeah, I'll do this like basically one scene. They wrote they wrote that film theory class scene. They added her in later because they were like, "Samuel Michelle Gillard's only in one scene, we should at least have her in two. Uh, so I love that. Plus it also cuts to a Dave Matthews song, which I
0: love. That needle drop is so great. <laughs> it's great. It's it's awesome.
1: It did mess me up as a child seeing Buffy die like
0: Die like horror. Yeah,
1: it with like barely any fight back it was a really jarring experience for me as a child
2: she for someone who does not have any sort of vampire slayer powers Cece holds her own a little bit she at least like tosses a bike she tosses some vases
0: yeah she throws a planter at his head that's i i love the physicality of ghostface he's always getting rocked with shit tripping over and he's a fucking klutz he is such a the moment when he's uh, chasing Sydney for the first time in this movie and he runs straight into a recliner and just completely eats shit. It's, it's Kevin legendary. McAllister could destroy Ghostface. Yeah, Race. that's, true. fuck, that's that the movie true. I want to see. Uh, but to bring it back to the Sarah Michelle Geller thing, I think it's also amazing contractually that, like, she's in way more of the movie than Jada Pinkett Smith, but Jada Pinkett Smith is on posters and DVDs um, in a way that Sarah Michelle Geller is not.
2: I think it I think it's it's uh there's more cachet to being the cold open death. Right. I guess that makes yeah, sense. Yeah,
1: and she was on the tour Jada Smith did like press in the same way that Drew Barrymore did. It was like one of the people that they like brought along to all the press events.
2: For a minute Drew Barrymore was Sydney before they cast yeah. Mith Campbell.
0: I didn't know that. So yeah, there's that kill for me it's the it's the detective uh car kill. It's great that pole. When, yeah, when when, when mm-hmm. Ghostface rams the detective into the pole, and it just goes straight through his head very cleanly. His head doesn't explode; it just goes in one end and out the other. Really iconic moment.
2: Yeah, it really like also fulfills the promise that when Randy lays out the rules of a mm-hmm. sequel, um, which, like you said, was like in the trailers, like we all knew that this was coming. And it was like, yeah, that is a much more elaborate death scene than Drew Barrymore got. Stabbed. and it leads it's like someone got a pole through <laughs> their head like real nice and cleanly too it feels like it would have been in like friday the 13th 3d yeah very, yeah, very yeah, Omen yeah yeah style. final destination too Ugh. final destination that's like the fast and the furious i think of horror films like they just keep going bigger every movie and it's like yeah this is like
0: dumb fun <laughs> yeah i think that's perfectly articulated the fast and the furious of horror
1: we'll have to do those
0: energy. movies yeah I love them. Um,
1: but that then leads into the scene where uh, Nev Campbell and her friend have to like sneak over an unconscious ghost face to like get out of the police car, which is both very tense and like for me personally very frustrating because they could just kill him now.
2: Yeah,
1: I me me myself
2: with what like his gun? No,
1: like he's unconscious. They could choke him or like hit him or get his knife. There's a big pole. There's, like, lots of things. <laughs> I love the idea of them hitting him today. Just while he's asleep. Against, yeah, <laughs> that's what I would do. But maybe I have anger issues.
0: No, I, I had that thought, too. But I do think that's uh, that's a less satisfying movie.
1: Sure. It's a really good moment. But it, for me, it is a little bit, like, world-breaking. because. But, but I also think that part of it is that I'm watching this knowing it is a Scream movie and not watching this... I'm not in this situation where people do get uh, prosecuted for killing people in self-defense. So yeah. it, just because yeah, somebody's but to your wearing, point, wearing like, a mask doesn't mean that, oh, okay, he was like a weird guy in a mask. Never mind. You can go.
2: Oh, she, she would get off based on like, oh, you're that girl first one. Either that or it'd be like something doesn't add up that you keep being around all these murders. <laughs> <laughs> and you keep being the only one to survive
0: hey look we haven 't seen Scream Five yet. That could well pan out it better fucking not
1: so it 's been through too much thomas we won 't let it happen
0: fair enough <laughs> i I think there's this there 's this consensus that Mike disagrees. I might disagree too i haven 't decided yet, but there 's this consensus that Scream is empirically better than Scream Two. But I don't know that I'm convinced that's true. I also think the college setting is really unique. I think we get so many high school horror movies, but there are far fewer college horror movies. Um, and it's its its own vibe. I really like that in this movie.
2: Yeah. Uh, for me, it's like, I mean, the original Scream, like, kind of changed the game and, like, deserves so much credit. And I think it's, like, a perfect film. Uh, I mean, they, Wes Craven had done that meta stuff before with mm-hmm. New Nightmare. Uh, but for me, it's largely like the sequel is gorier and I like gory shit. Uh, and also if you're going to deconstruct slasher films, you like, can't have that conversation unless you're talking about sequels. So like for me, Scream 2 just got to do everything Scream 1 did plus more. right?
1: And the fact that like none of the, like returning motifs, like deconstruction of the thing within the thing, it doesn't get old. Yeah. The fact that it doesn't... It, nothing jumps the shark in this one is incredible. And, like, I think I think the movies are, like... I think I do think the movies are equally good. I don't know if I can say which one is, like, better. But this one has such a higher bar to clear.
2: Right. Totally. And, and for me, I mean, Scream rightfully gets so much credit for how it, like, you know, deconstructs horror films and the slasher genre and stuff. But that almost, like, makes people discredit. It's just a great horror film. Like, it's a really good slasher. In addition to like a commentary on slashers,
1: I think the one thing that this movie doesn't do as well as Scream is that we're getting back into college essay to, like realm again. But the way that Scream, the mechanics of Scream's Who Done It speaks to what it is like to be a teenage girl in a way that Scream 2 doesn't necessarily speak to what it's like to be a woman in college, as far as like. You don't know which of the men in your life is going to murder you, but probably one Mm -hmm. of them wants to. Could be your brother, or it could be your boyfriend, could be your dad, could be your boyfriend's weird friend who sticks his tongue out a lot. You don't know. (laughs) Um, And I think that's part of what makes Scream so effective is it has this, like, analogy of, like, living within rape culture that this movie loses a little bit.
2: Uh And you think never comes back? Like, is that... It's a part of three
1: because it turns out at the end of three that like uh, Maureen Maureen um, Sid's mom was like the victim of a like 70s version Harvey Weinstein and that her trauma caused like all of the hypersexual like trauma behavior that she does that allegedly like sets off all of the other events of the movie so it's like it's there throughout like there is a little bit of that with whether or not um Sid can trust her boyfriend in Scream 2 and like just the feeling of like uh you know how do you move on from a traumatic event without repeating those same patterns how do you not sequelize your life is there a little Mm -hmm. bit but it's not as strong I think thematically
0: that's a good point
1: but it doesn't have to be that also it could just be a cool movie
0: (laughs) I think that stuff's cool though I think um there are not a lot of slashers that lend themselves to that sort of analysis. I think the fact that you're even able to apply sort of that lens to these movies speaks to their sophistication.
1: Oh, there's a whole. I wrote. When I had a, um, I used to have a feminist horror zine where we did a lot of analysis <laughs> essays.
0: I want to read that.
1: Uh, I Me too. I think they're up on my D-Pop. Whatever. They're around. I'll send copies. I'll send copies to everybody. I think I wrote an essay about A Nightmare on Elm Street. And how it has like a similar would be Gen X at the time people like a reaction to the Boomers who thought they fixed everything. Like mm-hmm. it, the, it's the kids in um in Nightmare are being plagued by this like boogeyman that all their parents are like no 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 we solved that there are no more problems we solved the problems and the kids just keep looking around and saying like I'm pretty sure that the problems are still well within our subconscious and they're like no 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 we fixed the problems there are no more problems like mm, I think the problems are still hidden and like ruining our lives and it, you can say like whatever you want that to be whether it's like uh, you know feminism race issues class issues the eroding of the welfare state etc cetera, etc cetera. it's like the, narr- the grand narrative of that boomers had of like we did it we fixed it the 20th century is the best and then their kids being like hold on <laughs> there's still issues uh-huh. is like really interesting. me. I don't know if it's, if it's just that I like Craven the most or whether he is particularly makes movies that are easy to analyze in that way. I don't know what that is.
2: Well, two was incredibly on the nose, but it was, uh, I mean, it's definitely the most topical one. It was about like violence and cinema and video games, which was like a mm-hmm. huge conversation. in in the mid nineties, unlike are they bad for us do they make us do bad things but it was so on the nose that like that was like what they were talking about in film yeah it's
1: (laughs) just text it's not subtext
2: and it's like the entire reason that uh timothy oliphant was like doing these murders in the first place was to like further that conversation right
0: and he also felt pretty confident that he would get off that he would literally be defended Mm -hmm. by you know the religious right it's like a I cautionary Lori
2: Metcalf being like, you're a dork. <laughs> like that might have been a, like that might have been why you were doing this, but like it's not like my son was killed.
0: Definitely so great. Also, so Laurie good. Metcalf is so fucking great. Like uh
2: I feel like that immediately adds a star mm-hmm. to scream. Star as in like a five star. Yeah.
0: One hundred percent. I and when you're watching it, I, I, I was telling I think I was telling both of you before this, I hadn't revisited this movie since 2007 or or 2008 and so watching it i didn't remember exactly how it resolved and so at the beginning when at the beginning of the end when you find out that mickey is the killer i'm like oh that is so fundamentally unsatisfying because like he clearly tips his hand early in the movie when he's talking to jerry o'connell and he says oh i don't know why anyone would go back in that house and Jerry O'Connell does this borderline, like, Tim Allen home improvement <laughs> grunt, like, oh, something's weird with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> what? How would he know that I went back in the house? And so when I was watching it, I was like, oh, wait, is this movie dumb? And then Loomis's mom comes in, and I'm like, oh, no, that is cool. But then I take a step back, and I think, but the first movie has two killers, so this feels a little bit like a, a retread, but then you've got Cotton and the final sort of interplay between him and Loomis's mom, and I'm like, oh no, this movie rules! And I think that's yeah. that's a, the kind of the the biggest thing about Scream Two for me is it's like we can't surprise you quite like we did the first time, but we can just sort of stack shit. Like we can just have twist after twist until mm-hmm. more is better. Um, and I think this is one of the rare examples where I think more is a, a good strategy and does make for a better movie.
1: And we also just have to give it up to Laurie Metcalf's like eye acting <laughs> once she reveals Oh, greatest. The look on her face. Also in the um, trailer look at her face and she's like, I'm very sane, is yeah. the <laughs> best thing to ever happen.
0: Her first scene with Gale is so great. Mm-hmm. Where she's like, I'm I'm your biggest fan. Do you remember I took your seminar? I was sitting in the front row asking all the questions.
1: There's something so great, too, about this movie on the rewatch, knowing that she's the killer and how she's like very obviously like needling um, Gail the whole time. Like with her questions are specifically designed to torture her (laughs) and make her life harder. But you don't think you, you don't think that's her vibe because she's coming off so mom like so. Oh, gee, gosh. Right local paper lady it's incredible,
2: and it's exactly what allison it's exactly what Allison Bree does to uh Gil before oh, yeah. yeah like i'm a, i'm also I'm also a reporter, and I'm obsessed, <laughs> with you.
1: and she's like, not again <laughs> but so I think we should talk a little bit about Randy, alas poor Randy,
0: oh yeah mm-hmm randy who gets killed in broad daylight you think oh why would someone kill jamie kennedy in broad daylight and then you remember malibu's most wanted
1: yeah <laughs> he's the only part that does kind of wear thin for me at the beginning when he's like talking in a british accent for no reason like doing his little his little goof-em-ups while trying to make the exposition fun <laughs> i guess at the beginning i'm like i know he dies but could he die sooner please <laughs>
2: I'm so glad that this is a safe space where we can talk about this. <laughs> it feels like sacrilege to be like, I was so happy when Jamie Kennedy died, but I really was. I was annoyed when he showed up in three.
1: <laughs> I get sad when he shows up in three, but I'm sad for how my friends feel about him. I'm not sad that he's gone. I'm sad that my friend Sydney is sad, you know?
2: <laughs> yes, okay. I did, I wish that they. I wish that they gave that scene to... Heather Matarazzo, instead of Heather Matarazzo being like, I have a tape of somebody else talking that you
0: can watch. Oh, yeah.
1: We miss you guys in (laughs) Woodsboro.
0: I do think think, uh, Randy's kill is great. Mm -hmm. I think the broad daylight kill is really Mm -hmm. brazen and kind of exciting. And as soon as that van door opens and he's yanked inside, you're like, oh, this is cool. Nowhere is safe. And I also kind of buy this because Dewey and Gale are distracted checking everyone else for their phones. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's really good.
2: Also, it's got Gail Weathers' best scream, maybe, of all four movies. When she when she finds Randy, that is the best she scream screams. she does. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: I love also how that moment affects my favorite secondary character, Joel, the camera guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Joel, the king of having boundaries at work. I love that about him. He's just like, I'm not doing this anymore. And that's something that I... <laughs> need to learn how to also say
0: and he has a pretty good <laughs> pretty good argument for why i would <laughs> say Oh, a great one a great one in the original in the original draft of the script and also in Williamson's outline that he sold with the first scream, Randy went on to be Gail's cameraman. Did either of you read that?
1: No yeah, I did not
0: know that. yeah. So Randy did not uh, go on to matriculate. He instead was camera boy. And I have no idea how that would unfold. But yeah, this version seems better
1: because the whole thing is he's like following sit around like a puppy. Right. It would be weird for him to follow Gale around like a puppy.
2: I also don't get how that works with his character of like, oh, you're a film nerd, so of course you should be a cameraman for a new... It just doesn't make sense.
0: Sounds you. like first draft shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sounds like something you would intentionally leak to throw people off the scent.
0: Mm. It's getting more mysterious by the minute. <laughs> uh,
1: let's talk about the end, the big theater scene the theater
0: it's so good sorry i rambled about that already but it's amazing no it's
1: so good i love uh i love every time that sid turns the tables on her attackers but when she's like Mm -hmm. flipping at the end when she's like flipping all of the like effects and like at one point she uh she like rattles the stage thunder <laughs> too. <while she's>, like, <laughs> she, okay. starts
2: doing, she starts doing tech for a while. It's really great.
1: <laughs> and just commits to that. Is really great. It's so it's neat to see all of the people converge in the same spot for different reasons. Like J. O'Connell is mm-hmm. tied up drunk in the rafters. <laughs> um and Sid is lured there by mysterious organ music, which, you know, who hasn't been, really?
0: Iconic. Yeah.
1: It's relatable. Also,
0: how funny is it that Dewey is bleeding out for hours and hours and hours, only- and hours and hours and hours and hours and for some reason is alive and no one thinks to he check has on so him? so much blood. <laughs> he has so much blood. Well, he's already fucking bleeding when he gets stabbed. Like, how do they find him the next morning and he's just like a little delirious? It's
1: crazy. <laughs> it's crazy that they did it to him twice a fake-out death. And, and that mm. when there there's like an ADR thing where it's like, the knife hit old scar tissue. It's why he's alive. And I'm like, okay, sure.
2: <laughs> I gave him superpowers.
1: Now he's unstabbable.
2: Uh, I also just love that last scene that Lori Metcalf seems like she's having a blast. Like, if I'm going to be yeah. in a slasher, I'm just going to go completely crazy in that bit where she's like, was that a disparaging <laughs> remark about my boy?
0: Yeah.
2: Is like, so the mom from Friday the 13th won. Yeah, exactly.
0: But Sid's response where she's like, no, Mrs. Loomis, you were a a great mother.
2: She says you did a bang up job. (laughs) Uh, So sassy, even when she's like about to be murdered. The moment when she
1: gets the upper hand on Mickey and says, like, there's one thing you don't know about Billy or you're forgetting about Billy.
2: I Mm -hmm. fucking
1: killed him. And then like whips a chain at him and cuts his eye.
2: Not just any chain; it's the necklace yeah. that Derek well, She gave. wears in
1: Scream Three as a memento. She's
2: got she's got great great quips.
1: It's good. So there's it's the standard standard is rude, but it is the standard Scream uh, denouement where uh, Sid gets away and briefly tortures her killers before killing the killers. Uh, except. At first, it seems like Laurie Metcalf is finally going to get the drop on her. But then in comes Liv Schreiber. Mm-hmm. and
0: Who's so great in this movie. Sorry, oh. can we no, just talk about, talk about how great he is in this movie? Every fucking line read is so good. He's, He's awesome. Good.
2: He's like, Diane Sawyer looking pretty good right now.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah. But the thing oh. that made that I saw this time that I hadn't seen on previous watches is he jumps across the orchestra pit to get to them. Like in the fight, so he I goes didn't even like notice. from from like the audience to the stage. and He just jumps over that pit where uh, Courtney Cox is at the bottom, and it's like what? He, it's like five feet. Wow. He's got ups. What the fuck is happening? A standing jump yes. over, the... <laughs> just like Space Jam. It's crazy. Um, and in like the tightest jeans too. It's really great work. Incredible.
2: Good for him. Also, like if I was him, I'd be a little annoyed at Nev Campbell sure. too. He's like right to be. Mad. He's not right to maybe kill her, <laughs> but he's right to be mad. Totally, he's right
1: to be mad.
2: Let the man go on Diane Slayer. I don't
1: necessarily understand. I personally wouldn't try to pivot being wrongfully accused of a rape and murder into like a talk show. But I, that's me. I wouldn't try I, to get I mean, famous off. But that. to
2: me, that feels very. That feels very topical. Yeah, like it's 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 like almost the the whole point of Scream Four is that Jill is so jealous that neve campbell got to be famous because she was a victim which ironically like Nev campbell would like nothing more than for people to leave her alone
0: <laughs> i also think book deals for having been someone in the periphery of tragedy can be pretty lucrative i think he's just kind mm-hmm. of setting himself up for the next 10 years
1: yeah but i also
2: think he's someone that had nothing going on and he's like i could be famous now because of this i'm gonna be famous it's not the choice maybe you or i would make but i think a lot of people would yeah
1: and You know, it's also similar to Mickey's motive that he's excited about the trial for him. The trial is like the ultimate spectacle. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And the way that it's, I guess it's like both Cotton's success and Mickey's uh, trial lust are like indictments of the way that we've like made murder entertainment here in a way Mm -hmm. that like rings even more true now than it did then. Mm
0: hmm. I love. It I love is. that one of Mickey's final lines is, uh, and I'm probably butchering this, but he says, "I can't wait for the trial." It's gonna rock!
1: <laughs> Timothy Olshan is doing some stuff in this movie. He's
0: a fucking goofball. Even his spiky hair, you're like, oh, that's like the, the late 90s version of a mustache-twirling villain. What is that
1: look?
2: <laughs> he's just tying Sydney
0: to some train tracks. Yeah.
1: And like, when he, even when he's talking normally, he's like tilting his head down, so he has like Kubrick eyes in every shot.
0: Yeah, he looks like Shadow the Hedgehog.
1: <laughs> he has like he has no emotional investment in not getting like as he said he's not trying to get out, get away with this he is trying to get caught mm-hmm. so he acts like a freak murderer for the whole movie even if we're not supposed to like suspect him right and also when he comes back for his like last death uh scare his final scare mm. <laughs> he like posts up and like does this with his <laughs> he just like kermit the frog arms and goes it's
0: but that's what incredible. that's what ghost face does that's how Ghostface moves yeah. when he's sneaking around behind cc on the phone he's like <laughs> sorry if you're listening you it's a podcast it, but... it's gonna play really well <laughs> yeah yeah i, I waved he my does... arms like a putty man
2: it was like uh, one of those sky dancers at a used car yeah. dealership. Yeah. The thing Thank about
1: you. the uh, whoever plays Ghostface uh, usually has has the physicality of that guy doing the pumpkin dance
2: yes, in that one yes. gif. If he like slipped on a banana peel. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, something I miss though in Scream 2 that is much more present in Scream 1 is... Uh, Ghostface used to really like performatively wipe the blood off of his blade. Mm. (laughs) He loves doing that. And I missed that this time.
0: I miss it too. Um, Before, before we, before we wrap things up too much, Mm -hmm. can we talk Dewey? I was Mm -hmm. worried at the beginning of this, that you disparaged him, Bethy, but I love Dewey. What did you say, Bethy?
1: I didn't disparage him. I just said that he's also there. Like he doesn't oh, have yeah, as yeah. much of a plot. He doesn't have like a big overarching like emotional arc. Besides, Gail's cute. I should stand up for myself more.
2: Uh, he's got a great. And then he. Oh, sorry. That's
1: it. He's got a great monologue
2: no, when he talks about um, his response to how he is presented in Gail's book. Oh yeah, uh, a mm-hmm. really great monologue. And also, it ends up not being his death, but his death scene is fucking awesome behind that soundproof glass. So you're not hearing it; you're just watching it it rules and again Mm -hmm. so much blood
0: it's so much blood i also love the way in that scene they let gail really live in that Mm -hmm. for a bit they don't Mm -hmm. cut away too quickly she knows that she's safe in that room but she's still mortified by what's happening and she just gets to act
1: totally Mm
0: -hmm. uh i love that
1: and when she like is high like it happens and then she like blocks the door she just sort of like hides in a corner like a little girl for a second and it's like really affected affecting, I mean. Um, to see Gail, who's usually like such a purposeful right. badass, like cower like a child.
0: There are some legendary character introductions in movie history, but I think many of them pale in comparison to when Dewey returns in this film. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And almost walks oh, into the only the, tree in a field. score is
0: incredible for his, his return. Yeah, they see him standing so far away under a tree, just looking completely confused by what it is to be standing by oneself outside. What is he doing? He
2: looks like he was teleported to that quad. <laughs> and is like, I didn't step in a machine. How did I get here?
1: And it contrasts so nicely with Gail's entrance in the movie where she is just like walking like the he- the widest gate I've seen in my life on a woman that <laughs> small with such purpose, like. Digging her heels into the grass of that quad, just like, to stomp into heels on grass is impossible, and yet she is doing it. It's And incredible. changing her
2: introduction to Gail Weathers, author of the Woodsboro Murders, is
0: fucking <laughs> That's awesome. That's so good. When she picks up the phone, too. Yeah, yeah.
2: who is this? Gail Weathers, author of
1: the
2: Woodsboro <laughs> what That's another thing, real quick. Cell, phone, cell phones in, like, early 2000s, late 99 movies have aged worse than, like, two tin cans with a string <laughs> the <laughs> oh, cell phones that they talk to and they talk to it and scream to are just fucking awesome
1: they look like the ones that you can still get that are full of candy <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. oh yeah <laughs> that's, that's exactly right speaking of phones the one other legendary Dewey moment in this movie is when Gale calls him a bonehead and he does like the Jason Alexander shallow howl six second trying to think of a comeback and then calls her <laughs> Phone head,
1: <laughs> it's rough. No, but I didn't. I did not mean to disparage Dewey. I love Dewey. He is uh, the heart of the movie. Almost. I mean, like, the way he's, he's treated, just sweet little goober.
2: Not to keep talking about Scary Movie, but the way that character was treated in Scary Movie is not kind.
1: No, that's insane. <laughs> what happens in that
2: movie? Opens on him like fucking the vacuum. Or
1: something. <laughs> uh, I was telling. I was telling Colin that I feel like our relationship is a little bit Gale and Dewey because I'm like a little bit too queer-driven, a little bit too brittle, and he's very sweet and has no business being a cop.
2: Um, I love that, and also they make it work. That's kind of like a nice goal to be a Gale-Dewey.
0: I think they're an extremely charming screen romance. They're a great couple,
2: and off-screen.
0: We might have narrowly avoided that. Um, Is now a good moment to say that Colin... Edits and engineers the podcast and is also an all-around sweetie. Thank you, Colin.
1: And he has a mustache. He has a beard, too, but that's another way that he's like Dewey. <laughs>
2: right.
1: And he can't be stabbed. It's impossible. <laughs> and he, he, has, and he has
2: so much blood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no for full it. He's full of it. <laughs> wow, has ten
2: times the blood of an average man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I need to talk about Gail Weathers' hair. This Please. Movie.
2: Well, you got if you're going to talk about Gale Weathers' hair, you got to talk about it throughout the films.
1: Oh sure, yes, it is a real uh, story. Her hair, but in this one particularly, she has red chunky highlights that, if I remember correctly, were a promotional tie-in with Revlon. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, like I remember I like in ads in like YM, it was like use the same like chunky highlighter uh, as Courtney Cox <laughs> in Scream Two. And they had like a a bleach kit version and then like a red kit version wow. and maybe purple was the third one.
0: Do they renege on that product agreement when Dewey makes fun of her hair?
2: <laughs> yeah, he literally says nice streaks. <laughs> yeah. Revlon's like, what the fuck? We paid $10 million.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I thought they were nice, says yeah, Mr. Yeah, Revlon. Yeah. Um, but yes, it is, it is one chapter in the book of Gail weathers his hair because she's in Scream. She's got like anchor hair, anchor lady mm-hmm. hair. It's frosted. It's got a swoopy bang.
2: The bangs in three are the ones that get debated the most.
1: The bangs in three are what my friend Sarah calls car crash bangs, and I don't Your know what that. Your friend Sarah like. sounds nice. <laughs> uh, my friend Sarah is a bitch. That's great for her. She's a teacher, by the <laughs> way. Anyway. Um, I think that when when she calls them car crash bangs, I think of it like uh, they're like really short, really, really short bangs, And I think of it as like you had to use the jaws of life to cut your hair out. And that's just sort of what's left. <laughs> I'm
2: picturing her telling this to her students, like just one <laughs> child with an unfortunate haircut.
1: <laughs> but those... Those are the craziest bangs. And then in Scream 4. I think she's just wearing like a pretty normal. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it's like a wig, but it's like a nice wig.
2: Right. And that's like the Stay at Home Gale that's like trying to be at peace with not working as much.
1: Yeah. it doesn't it doesn't go great for her.
2: It doesn't and it shouldn't. She's a she's a business
1: Fish got to swim. Yeah. Gale got to yell at people.
0: I got to tell you, I'm chomping at the bit to find out what uh, Courtney Cox's hair looks like in Scream 5. Oh, I mean, we
2: all are. That's like, yeah, that's the mystery more than the killer.
0: We're just biding our time.
1: I'm imagining her doing like the, the Gen Z quarantine, like shave my like she has a slightly shaved head or something. I'm just oh, trying to think yeah. like where you could go from there. Like, does she have like the cool like the shag mullet that was coming in? I think
2: it's just going to be like Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> if we all know Gilly.
1: <laughs> If you have a suggestion for what Courtney Cox's hair should look like in Scream 5, leave a five-star review on our podcast, but just don't explain what the show is. Don't say whether it's good or bad. Just say what you think Courtney Cox's hair should look like. In a perfect world, would she have, like, the Bride of Frankenstein thing with the streaks? (laughs) A mohawk?
2: And even still, they're like, well, it's better than that Revlon streaks you did.
0: (laughs) Yuck! I'm gonna get banned from uh, commenting on uh, podcast reviews by saying that I think she's gonna have um, the the hair from the AFI Miss Murder music video, circa 2006, the kind of like MySpace scene mullet (laughs) with the like half bang swoop. Anyway, five stars, please. You can write whatever you want. I'm
2: gonna go with like a Richard Spencer. You will not erase us. (laughs) <laughs> oh, no. really alt-right gale weathers
0: yeah
1: so tight tight fade on the sides yeah i think all of these are distinct possibilities
0: this is probably exactly where you thought the screen two episode of watching movies at the bar would end up. the big reveal i think there was, was a-
2: pulling off the ghost face mask to see what her hair looks like okay on- <laughs>
0: There's there is a there is a logical trajectory to each of these episodes, and everyone saw this one coming. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Bethy, does the does the show have a social media handle?
1: Oh my gosh, Thomas, it does. It's Movie Bar Pod on Twitter and Movie Underscore Pod on Instagram. Huh.
0: I wonder who has Movie Bar Pod on Instagram.
1: That would be a uh, podcast that never released a single episode but did uh, take the name for their Instagram in 2017 and has not posted since.
0: Fascinating. Mm. Mike, where can, we, where can we find you online? Uh, I'm actually that Instagram. <laughs> Fuck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mike, we got to talk.
0: And now
2: this is like fucking awkward. Uh, you can just find me at, uh, at Mike Scollins uh, on Twitter and Instagram.
0: We would, we would urge you to do that.
1: And I'm BethyBSQU on Twitter and Thomas.
0: Uh, I'm uh, at uh, handsome underscore pal.
1: And as always, we have a normal sign off that isn't weird and and not I'm not searching for something to say right now. So, as usual, our sign off is stupid, which is an impression of Luke Wilson doing an impression of Skeet Ulrich in the movie Stab, which is in the movie Scream 2.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Luke. Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins with show art by Lindsay Farrell. And that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. Do
2: you guys want to see the saddest thing I bought during quarantine to make myself feel better? Mm -hmm. Please. I spent an obscene amount of money for Out of Darkness by Sidney Prescott. Oh my god! Uh, from Scream 4. Not even like the Woodsboro Murders, like the good one. Um, but it's the first movie prop I've ever purchased, and I don't know how you're supposed to display a movie prop, so it's just like on my bookshelf.
0: <laughs> Wait, Mike, sorry, will you hold That's this up one more time?